0: If it feels like the Sun might be too much for you where you're sitting if you want to make a shift in that position you you could do that while I kind of get my sermon going and, and uh, get started today you know I know the Sun is starting to rise if you're okay then that's fine but if, if you feel the need to shift um, feel free to do that um, how good it is it of God on a sermon about being in a dry and weary land and he gives us such a nicely gorgeous day Amen. with the sun beaming down on us so that might actually help because psalm 63 is using a metaphor it's using a metaphor of our physical thirst to to convey our need for for god our connection to god our our our, our souls thirst for god so it's it's using this metaphor, but I want I want you to think about when have you felt intense physical thirst? When, can you remember a time when when you're kind of were so thirsty, all you can think about is get getting a drink. And, and I remember when I was starting to get into jogging and was building up my distance as a as a teenager, and I, I was building up to you know seven eight miles, and on a hot summer day. There's a few times where I just totally was, was not, had not enough water. There's no water sources out there. And, and I, would, I would think about it. and And I sort of made a deal for myself if I could um, finish this run without stopping and that I could get a big gulp. And so I, I wonder, how many of you even know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm probably not the younger people. I don't know if they have that here in New York. But uh, before every gas station and fast food place offered you all the self-serve drinks, the first one to do it was 7-Eleven. And they had the Big Gulp. And that was a 32 ounce drink that you could get. And it, among my friends, we got what's called the suicide, which is you get a little bit of everything. You just go down the line and that, that's, it, it was horrible. I don't know why we did that, but, but we thought that was great when I was a kid. So nowadays, of course, actually 32 ounces would be the medium, you know, if you go to a gas station and get that that, that soda. But so that's the deal I'm making. And as I got really tired and, and, and that's all I thought about was was getting that big gulp and that carried me that last mile or two when I was, when I was running. So that's the physical thirst. Have you ever been in a dry and weary land in your emotional life where you feel like your inner spirit is dry and empty, and you felt a searing loneliness? Maybe you were overwhelmed with anxiety. You feel, felt abandoned by people, maybe even abandoned by God. And in that time, it was hard to summon the energy to pray in a dry and weary land. Before COVID happened, I know the big concern for our society was depression, anxiety, and all that that loneliness that goes with that. Would it surprise you to know that one of God's most faithful servants faced severe depression. In the desert, the prophet Elijah had an encounter with God, and he was exhausted. He he had nothing left. And in that moment, he, he prayed to God that he might die. What's surprising is that moment for Elijah did not come after a great defeat or anything. In fact, it came after an incredible victory. And so I'm gonna give you the quick story on that. It's in first Kings eighteen and then we'll go into nineteen. If you if you want to read the whole story on your own later, I'm gonna kind of summarize it. But Elijah was in a battle um, for the hearts and minds of the people of Israel. He was urging them, calling them to stay faithful to the Lord, to Yahweh, while the culture. Was, was inviting people to begin to follow and, and worship Baal. Including the king and queen were promoting the worship of Baal among the people devoted to the Lord in Israel. And it came down to a, a big confrontation on a mountain, Mount Carmel, where you had only one prophet of the Lord, Elijah, standing against 450 prophets of Baal. And there was the king and queen and all the people. And Elijah said to them, he went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Make your choice. You can't keep doing both. But the people were wavering. They they did not want to commit. They wanted to know which one was real. And so Elijah proposed a contest. Both the Baalites and he would prepare a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. But neither of them could light the sacrifice themselves. Instead, they would see which god could send down fire from heaven to burn it up himself. And it's, it's a great story. The prophets of Baal, they set up their sacrifice, they dance, they do all their things, they even cut themselves, and nothing. And then Elijah steps up, and with one prayer, he says, God, show yourself to be real. And fire comes from heaven, burns up the sacrifice. And it ends with the people chanting. Uh, Let me read the whole thing. It says, Then fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And so now you have all the people chanting. The Lord, he is God. Now, here's what's cool, is Elijah's name means the Lord, he is God. So they're shouting, Elijah, Elijah. I mean, can you imagine a greater victory than that? For this one prophet against these hundreds of other other prophets. And then, more than that, God ends the great drought and sends rain upon Israel. So at the end, even King Ahab is happy. That's all he cared about. He wanted the rain to be over. He was mad at God for forgiving this time of the drought. So it's all good, right? Except for Queen Jezebel. Those were her prophets of Baal. And she was not happy. And so she sent a threat to Elijah saying, you are a dead man. And Elijah, the courageous man of God, he collapsed emotionally and he fled he ran out and fled the country went to the south out of the the territory of Ahab and Jezebel and then it says he goes out into the wilderness area and he came to a broom bush and sat under it and he prayed that he might die I have had enough Lord he said take my life I'm no better than my ancestors and then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. He had nothing left. He was tapped out. And, and he couldn't even really talk to God. He was empty and dry. Yes, he had had that amazing victory. He had seen an undeniable miracle from God. You think if, he, if I saw that miracle, I would never doubt God again. But he did emotionally there was nothing left I've actually seen something similar maybe you have as well that that after a great event in ministry a spiritual high even camps or a mission trip I'll come back and I'll go through a spiritual love um, what I want to look at and why I tell the story, is I want to look at what God does for his servant in that time what does God do To restore Elijah. The first thing he does. It says Elijah wakes up. And an angel of the Lord. Is cooking breakfast for him. And gives him some bread. Cooked over the fire. And some water. Eat and drink. He gives him food. And the second thing. Is he lets him sleep. The Lord stands watch. Over Elijah while he sleeps out in the desert wilderness, protecting him in that moment. And it says he has a couple rounds of just sleeping it off. So that's the first couple things he does. And then he does something I didn't quite understand at first. He says, Go to Mount Horeb, which is the same as Mount Sinai, back where Moses gave the Ten Commandments. He says, Go to Mount Horeb and, then, and we'll talk. Well, Mount Horeb is almost all the way to Egypt. It was a 40-day journey from where Elijah was. That seems like a waste of time, but it wasn't. What it did is it gave Elijah some time away. Time away from the pressure. Time away from the battle. Time away from the threats of Jezebel and Ahab, way out of the country where they had no influence. And so I, I note that food, sleep, and time away. Sometimes our inner being is is so disturbed because we need that we need that time of rest. We cannot work ourselves to death and not do damage to our own our own spirit. That's why God set up a thing called the Sabbath, saying you need a day a week to rest and restore your soul. So first He gives His servant. And then when he gets to Mount Horeb, he has, Elijah speaks. And he says to God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You hear the emotion of all that? I, I've, I've been working hard, God. But it's not working out too well. I am a failure. Ever have that voice in your head? I am a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. And you just can't turn that voice off? They put your prophets to death with the sword and I'm the only one left. I'm alone, I am alone, I am alone. No one is with me. No one knows what I'm going through. And now they're trying to kill me too fear, anxiety. That's what it's like to be in a dry and weary land. All those intense feelings block out your ability to hear anything else. They block out even your ability to pray. And that is why God does not immediately give Elijah an answer. He needs to do something else first. He says, okay, okay. here's what we're going to do. Go into this cave and wait. And so Elijah goes into the cave. And then the first thing that happens is he feels a powerful wind tear through the mountains, breaking stones apart, almost knocking everything over. And it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then immediately, an earthquake. The the ground beneath his feet moves and shakes. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then third, a, a forest fire tears through, burning all the things around him. And Elijah can feel the heat on his face, but it says the Lord is not in the fire. And then finally, a gentle whisper, a gentle breeze, and that is when Elijah talks with God. And that is when God is with him. And so, God gives him an experience of His power and the gentleness of His presence, letting Elijah know I am the one who's able to bring. power is needed but he's also gentle with those who love him and then they continue the conversation and then so the fifth thing is God gives Elijah a solution he does not leave him hanging in that situation now he hears the still small voice of God and says here's what you're going to do and and the specific instructions are we're going to get a new king I'm going to take out Ahab and Jezebel and and Israel's going to get a new king Um, and also you're going to get a new partner one of the problems is Elijah was doing it alone and the loneliness was killing him we're not meant to do it alone when Jesus sent his disciples out he sent them out two by two and so Elijah gives or God gives Elijah a partner in Elisha who one day will take over for him and then the last thing he says oh by the way you're not alone there are 7,000 who have not worshipped Baal, who've not bowed the knee to Baal, and I know who they are. You're not alone, you're not as alone as you think you are. God gave his servant the answer he needed. He restored him. And Elijah got back in the game. Maybe you felt like Elijah at times, where you were weary and empty, you had nothing left. Maybe you even got to the point where you wondered if life is worth know that you're not the only one who's felt that. Maybe in that time it was really hard to pray, and you felt dry and empty. It's and then we realize that our need is not what we can do for God, but only what he can do for us. And that is where Psalm 63 comes in. This is a prayer. What can we pray? It's a prayer from the desert. Now, it's not by Elijah. It's from David, who also spent time in a dry and weary land. And he begins by saying, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land when there is no water. David is saying, you are my God. I've decided that. And I'm gonna seek you. But right now, my soul is thirsting for you, and I, I'm not feeling an answer. My body's longing for you. I can feel this with both my soul and my body. See, there's a, a thirst within every human being. God has made it that we need him. God has set eternity in our hearts, and we try to fill that emptiness with so many other things that just can't satisfy with. Money and achievement and popularity and power and sex and video games. Those things cannot satisfy the deep inner need that we have. In fact, they're kind of like salt water. You know, if you're ever out on the beach and you're looking at the water and you think, oh, that will satisfy my thirst, but we know it doesn't. The salt water will actually just make you thirstier. And that's what we keep doing in our life. We're looking for things to fill the emptiness inside. And there's only one solution, but we keep trying everything else. It says, My body longs for you. We can feel it in our body. We're not just disembodied souls. It's we are a body, soul united into a person. And we can feel that longing for God in our body. So that's how David starts off. He says, I'm seeking you. I'm longing for you. And then verses two to five, four verses, each one changes tense. So I thought was interesting. Each is a different tense of time. So verse 2 starts off in the past tense. I have seen you in the sanctuary and have beheld your power and glory. I have seen in the past tense. David remembers the times when he did feel God's presence. When he did worship God with abandon. When he did behold his power and glory. But that was the past tense. He, he, so the first thing he remembers that experience is in the past of God. The second is present reality because your love is better than life my lips will glorify you the present reality is god is loving that hasn't changed god's love is real even when we can't feel it we base everything on our feelings in this in our culture today but god's love is real and david affirms that your love is better than life and then verse 4 is an ongoing decision. I will praise you as long as as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. It's a decision to praise God even when his heart is not going along with it. And there are great times to praise God and you feel the joy of the Lord is your strength and you're you're singing and that is pleasing to God when we do that. But I think is even more pleasing when we don't feel it. And we say, I trust you, God, anyways. And I praise you in the desert place. On the road marked with suffering, blessed be your name. And then the last one is the future hope. My soul will be satisfied. It's not happening yet, as with the richest of foods. But I know this will not last. And one day God will again restore me with the richest of things. Verse 6. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I don't think I understood this as a young man. But what's happening with David right now? On my bed, so he's lying on his bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Sleeplessness. In the midst of anxiety and depression, sleeplessness is one of the most common aspects. And David can't get to sleep, so he's choosing to remember God, to, to think about the one, to focus on him. Maybe he's praying that, that God would let him sleep, um, but instead of mentally replaying the event or conflict He's going to give that over to God and remember the goodness of God. I think it might even be worth memorizing a psalm so that when you can't sleep at night, you have something and just to go back to. Letting those words maybe help, help even drift you off to sleep. And then verse 7. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadows of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. He's giving an image of a young bird sheltering under the wings of a mother bird. And, and it's this idea that I, I'm putting myself under your care. And the power of the mother bird will shelter the frailty of, of the, the, the young bird of, its, of the, um, in the nest. And just that image, God, I'm putting myself under your care. I cannot fix this on my own. I don't know what's going on inside of me. All I can do is, put, is is place myself under the shelter of your wings. I will cling to you, and I will trust that your right hand will uphold me through this. You will carry me through this time. You are the God who has the power of the earth, wind, and fire, but you are the God who is gentle. A gentle whisper for those who are close to you. And then in the last three verses, he, David gives over to the Lord, those people who are trying to bring him down, trusting that God will take care of it. He says, those who seek my life will be destroyed. God, you will deal with those who are coming against me with the sword. I don't have to win this battle. I can just trust in you. And then verse 11, but the king will rejoice in God remember David's the king (laughs) says I'm choosing to rejoice in you you will deal with the mouths of liars the ones coming against me Elijah had his time in the desert David had his time in the desert Jesus had his time in the desert can you think of other servants of God in the Bible the scriptures who had a time in a dry and weary land, I think anyone who serves God for long enough will, will go through an experience like that, where it's hard to pray, it's hard to talk to God, and and we we realize it's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's yes, we we cling to Him, but His hand holds on to. He gives us what we need, what we cannot do for ourselves. And I just love that image of Elijah asleep under the broom tree. And he wakes up, and what does he see? The Lord making him dinner, cooking breakfast over the fire. We, too, have received. Our Savior, our Lord, prepared the table for us. He gave, he not only made us a meal, he he made that meal out of his own life. He gave himself as as our food, his his body as our bread. He gave his blood as our, our drink, our cup, that we might know him. That's the kind of love God extends. And so sometimes when our faith is weak, all we can do is receive. All we can do is say, yes. God, please do for me what I cannot do for myself. Three questions to close. Have you ever prayed to God from the desert? How might those times impact our life and our closeness with God? Have you found that when you get through that time, you actually feel closer to God than you've ever had before. And lastly, how have you experienced God restoring your soul in difficult and lonely times? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that that we are not saved because of the strength of our faith we're saved because we we simply rely upon you and that even when we are weak even when we can't feel you you are with us and you hold on to us and so God I thank you that you've held on to me in my darkest times I thank you that you got me through when I felt nothing in my spirit God I thank you that, that that your son gave himself for me even when I was distant from you. You're so good. We love you and we trust you.